Hello and welcome to The Connected Generation. My name is Nika Anani and I'm your host. This week's episode, people, my goodness. Um, Starting this podcast, honestly, has been the most life-changing experience for me because I sit across the table virtually from people that are just gifts to the world. People that, in spite of their circumstances, choose to shine. People that are so inspirational. And this week's guest is didn't disappoint. Her name is Sedrola Maruska, um, also known as Sedi. And she's a speaker, consultant, coach to help businesses cultivate cultures of equity and inclusion, leading to social justice and more diversity. But what is even more captivating about Sedi's story and journey is that a diagnosis of cancer led to her personal research and her personal revisit, where at that moment she decided to live a life of full intentionality and pursue her purpose. So you don't want to miss this one. This was just amazing. Um, I was so touched by this and I truly, truly commend her bravery. Um, Sedi is an incredible lady and it's an honour to have met her. So listen in and enjoy. Hi Sedi, welcome to The Connected Generation. I'm so excited to have you today. Thank you, Nike. It's so good to be here with you. Yes, this should be awesome. It should um, be. I'm expecting it to be quite fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you're a speaker, consultant, and you're really passionate about helping businesses cultivate more inclusive cultures yeah. um, that lead to social justice and more diversity. Can we, before we go right into all of that, which I have so many questions, um, <laughs> Tell us more about Sedi. How did you get to where you are today? How did I get to where I am today? You know, it's, it was a, it's, it's been a long and winding road. Let's say that. Let's start with that. And I, you know, I believe that I was on a trajectory specifically um, when I finished high school. And then I went to college and I was still kind of, you know, moving towards this uh, trajectory very um, involved with um, Black culture and, you know, getting to know more about our history and things like that. Mm. And then I got sidetracked. Um, I, and the thing about having gotten sidetracked is that I didn't even realize that I'd gotten sidetracked until almost, until I was diagnosed with cancer about three years, three years ago. Oh, yeah, three years ago. Wow. And I started to go on a journey mm. of, am I doing with my life what I really want to be doing with my life? And the answer was a resounding no. And I thought, well, I've got this reset. Mm. I've got this moment right now in time where I can revisit, go back and kind of see what is it? Where is it that I need to fit? What is it that I want to do? Mm. And in that journey, I realized that 20 years earlier, I had stopped my trajectory because I had 
because basically what had happened is I'd, I wasn't married, but I had had an affair with a, a gentleman and I got mm. pregnant mm. and I lost that baby. I was going to have that baby at 20 weeks. I ended up in the hospital and I had a miscarriage at, you know, pretty much five months and the shame and the guilt that I felt, I think just snuffed out this light within me and that Mm. just stopped me in my tracks. And Mm. then I think I was just kind of going along, making sure that going the safe way, which is usually the default way, which is usually just do what needs to be done in order to just kind of get through, but, you know, don't rock the boat. Don't mess up basically. Is mm. And when I realized that, of course, there were lots of tears. Like I, I, you know, when you think you've dealt with something and you haven't really dealt with it, there were all these tears and there was all this angst, but then there was clarity. There was a clarity of, I need to understand that I need to forgive myself. I need Mm. to move forward. And what is it that I'm meant to do? And once I gained that clarity, things started to shift quite a bit. And I began, I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to coach women. And then I became more of a um, thinking to myself, more of a consultant. And then of course, we know everything that happened last year with George Floyd and, and that seemed to reignite that passion that I had before of learning more and digging more deeply into um, culture. And so I found myself hungry to make this world a better place for not just my children, but the, this generation, the next generation coming up, because I'm watching my mm. nieces graduate from high school, graduate from college, move into this world. And I look at this world and I go, it can be better. Things can be better. And so what can I do to make that better? And so, you know, that's how I've gotten to where I am. And that's just, you know, that's, that's my story kind of in a nutshell. <laughs> Good grief. That is just like, wow. Long and winding road, indeed. Long and windy road. Wow, that's just so inspirational. I love when you said, you know, when you had um, cancer, that led to your personal reset and your personal revisit. Yeah. And that wasn't automatic, right? You know, because you could have you could have gone a different way. Yes, absolutely. I could have gone. You know, there's so many ways that you can go. And for me, it's for a long time for me, it's been about what are you choosing today? What am I choosing today? And the day that I got my diagnosis, um, interestingly enough, the day that I got my diagnosis, the the same I I had to go and get blood tests right after getting my diagnosis. And I went to go get blood tests. And while I was waiting for my turn, I called my sister to tell her what had happened, you know, that I'd gotten this diagnosis. But I told her in the same conversation, I said, this didn't come to to kill me. This came to teach me. And so I need to be open to the lessons that it's trying to teach me. I need to be open to understand where, why, and where, and where I'm going with this. Right. Wow. And, you know, and that was the first day. And then it's, 
and then it's interesting when you go from there, it's kind of, you know, people learn that you've got cancer and they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And I go, no, 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 you don't have to be sorry um, because I'm not sorry because Mm -hmm. if I'm sorry, then I have to think to myself, um, then I have to think why me and why me was never a question that I asked because I always think to myself as well, why not me? If not me, then I'm saying that it should be somebody else. And why should it be somebody else besides me? Right. There's so many, you know, things wrapped up in there, but, you know, I had eight months of, of, of basically, you know, chemo surgery, then radiation, eight months where I had to stop and think about me, where Mm. I had to allow people to help me, where I had to allow myself to take the time to heal me and to get to Mm. know me. And in that time, I think there was a lot, there was a lot of, of just staying open, but a lot of also introspection into who, who is me? Mm. I've been a mom, a wife, a daughter, sister, cousin, friend, you know, all these things but who is me? And so in that time, I think a lot got, and I became more intentional about the Mm. things that I did or wanted to do and about the things that would upset me, which Mm. was a lot less. It became a lot less, a lot less things upset me. A lot less things made me, you know, could rile me up more things. I was more intentional about the way the people that I was close to Mm -hmm. so so many things became more intentional and in that intentionality is I think where I started to find the answers to the questions and then is where I realized I hadn't where I hadn't been and where I was now able to 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 go so it was just just you know it's just a journey but yeah it's not it's not right away it's kind of like you're 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 going through and you're kind of going mm. you know I commend your bravery um honestly um oh. Renee Brown talks about how there's a difference between bravery and heroism yeah and how in culture we tend to think they're the same thing but right. there's ordinary acts of courage um and in that moment where you chose to say why not me and you said this didn't come to kill me it came to teach me that is incredibly brave right (laughs) because then it led to a whole that decision led to other decisions of um more um brave decisions yeah where you you were able to get that clarity um it's 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 really quite inspiring I've never thought of it that way. <laughs> no, it's 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 it's, it's inspiring because oh, many you. of us, self included, um, <laughs> problems will come, and it's like we're on to me, and we sing <laughs> that song, we play that violin, like oh goodness grief, like, right, right, we're right. on to me, problems, problems, problems. But yes. For 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 me, it's usually it's usually a process to get to that point of like, okay, actually, it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, what is the gift in this season or the gift in this issue? Yeah, yeah. And how yeah. can I be better from this? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I've never thought of it as bravery. Um, 
But when you put it in that context, <laughs> I go, oh, okay, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, I could see, I could see where that could be the case. Um, I've always just thought of it as, I don't know, an, an iteration, just the next iteration, like the next thing, the mm-hmm. next thing that needs to happen and the next choice that needs to be made. So, because you have to sh- had two choices. I had choices at that moment. I could Mm -hmm. completely fall into, oh my God, I have cancer, you know, and I could go, you know, it it was very easy because within, you know, the the time that I was in my doctor's office and I honestly did not hear anything after she said I had breast cancer. So thankfully my husband was there to ask all the questions. Um, I didn't have the questions to ask. And, but in that moment, while she's talking, I remember very clearly thinking two things, two things, my kids, mm. what will happen to my kids? That's where you go from the, the, you have cancer to, oh my God, you're dead. Mm. And that, and I don't know, I don't know how it happens for every cancer patient, but for me, it was like from zero to a hundred, I'm done. It's over. Right. Wow in that moment. And then the second thing was, if it's not over, what am I doing? Hmm. What am I doing? And then so I chose to focus on what am I doing versus I'm going to be dead. (laughs) Right. So it was kind of two thoughts, two ways I could have gone. And I decided to go this, this one direction rather than the other, because the other was too dire for yeah. me and I wasn't ready for that. I was just, you know, I was I was 49 years old and all I wanted was to do something more and better with my life. So I decided no, no, no. We're going to go this other direction. We're going to we're going to take this road and and work this angle versus the other angle. Oh. And Sorry, you were 49 years old. So I was 49 years old, yeah. I'm, I, folks, you can't see because this is obviously a podcast, <laughs> but she looks like she's like 29 years old today. So I'm a bit confused. Thank you. <laughs> you were 49. I was 49. Yeah, wow. so I'm about to be you look phenomenal. Thank wow. you. Yeah. And so, you're, you know, at that time when you're thinking about that, you know, really, I feel like I'm in the prime of my life. Like I don't Mm. feel my age. I'm just in the prime. Like right now I'm, I'm doing things. I'm, I'm, I'm formulating, I'm growing. I'm, I'm making a difference is, you know, at least I hope I'm making a difference. But you you know, right Mm -hmm. now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in that prime. And so I couldn't see anything different from that. And so I, that's where I went. That's where I, you know, I chose to go. Plus I had two kids that I didn't want to feel the, I didn't want them to feel like it was over as Mm. well. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I think my son was 10 or 11, which means my daughter was what three years. It was six, you know, Mm. six years old. I didn't want them to feel the weight of the cancer. We, we all went through it together. 
You know, there was never a time that we that we didn't speak freely about it and that it wasn't open. Mommy's going to go do this. I, I'm t- I can't do this because I'm tired or I'm not feeling well. And they would be helpful. But there but even going through that, I just didn't want them to feel like mom wasn't going to be there. Like mm. this was like it like, oh, my gosh, you know, she, mm. this is really, really bad. I wanted them to feel hopeful and I and in wanting them to feel hopeful, I wanted to also embrace that hope and to mm. move in that direction. So, you know, that's so so that's what we did. We, wow. you know, we just we got through it. And, you know, once a cancer patient, always a cancer patient is always in the back of your head that you're on borrowed time or, you know, that mm. sort of thing. But there are days when I forget that I'm a cancer patient and I appreciate those days. Mm. (laughs) You said something that I think is so profound. You said you could have chosen in that moment, like um, to just assume that you were dead or you could have chosen instead to, what am I doing? To kind of reevaluate your purpose, I guess. Um, I think that's really should be how we should all be living. And we are all on borrowed time. We are because we don't know. I mean, it may not be a diagnosis that takes you out. It could be a car accident. It could be anything. It could be be anything. You could be sitting in your house and lightning could strike. You know, I mean, it could be literally. But yeah. Yes, it could be literally anything. And so that actually was the place that I started with wanting to so I started with um wanting to help people personally develop or kind of get through to their core their why Mm -hmm. because I said to myself I said no one has to go through a diagnosis in order to live their best life you Mm -hmm. don't have to go through a diagnosis to say what is it that I really want to do and how do I get there Mm -hmm. You just have to be more intentional. You just have to look at your life, look at what you're doing, and then intentionally decide, is this the direction I want to go? Or is there a different direction that I want to go? And why am I not going in the direction that moves my soul versus Mm -hmm. going in the direction that is simply easier? Mm -hmm. And, you know, myself included, that's where I was. I was going through life and doing the easy thing. Oh, this is what we're going to do now. Okay, let's do this. Oh, this is the job I need to do now. Okay, let me do that job. And not thinking that those thoughts and and those ideas are what was shaping what was happening in Mm. my world. Mm. Right? Once I began to be more intentional and say, with more intention, what I where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do, things started to just come my mm. way. And, mm. you know, life started to shift into a life that I feel is well on its way to being what I want it to be. And so, you know, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that opportunity because I could have gone my whole life simply with the next easy thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And living intentionally sometimes isn't as 
that easy because you actually have to step outside of all those comfort zones that, that come, you step out, you get comfortable. You have to step out again and get comfortable again. You step out of all those comfort zones. So it's not easy, mm-hmm. but it's so well worth it, right? It's worth it when you're looking back and you're going, oh my gosh, that's where I was. This is where I am now. Where am I going to be if I continue on this path? Where am I going to be in two years, in five years, in 10 years? And what you see, your vision, then you can kind of keep going towards that and seeing the progress towards that. So you don't have to go through a diagnosis. You don't have to go through a trauma in order to begin that process. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is decide that's what you want to do to be more intentional and create a vision for yourself, mm-hmm. right? Whatever mm-hmm. that might be. Powerful, powerful. One of my mentors says that um, decide um, is from the same group of words like homicide, suicide, which side means to kill. So oh. in part of decide, you, you're not only deciding what you're going to do, but you're also deciding what, what you're not going to do as well. Yeah. yeah. And those limiting mindsets, those um, poor habits that we all have, we have to have full clarity on the things that in pursuing purpose, um, we're no longer going to carry on with. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, we're, so we're killing those things. And kill, we're kill them. <laughs> killing them. <laughs> we're killing them. I want to just um, talk a little bit about what you were saying about your passion for the next generation in light of all that happened last year with George Floyd and awakening this desire for, you know, we've always wanted justice, but it brought that conversation to the forefront. Can you just talk through what was that? We all have, you know, we can all go through the same event, yeah. but it has different meanings for each of us. Yeah. We all have our subjective kind of truths. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you, Sadi, last year? I watched the video by accident. Hmm. And no, I, haven't see- I haven't seen it still. You don't need to see it. No, I don't, I don't want <laughs> to. Because I, I didn't. After, you know, Sometimes, you know, sometimes you, 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 a video came, I don't even remember how it came up, but the video came up and then it's like, you can't turn away from this, this crash that's about to happen. You just can't turn away because you're going, you can't believe what you're seeing. Mm. And I remember, you know, I cried. I was like, I just, I don't understand this. This doesn't make sense to me right here. This just doesn't make sense. And then uh, after that, I thought that could be my son. That could be so many sons that I know. And so soon after that, there was a vigil here in our town. And someone said to me, and this is, this is part of what happens when you just stay open and you're, you're open to what comes. Mm-hmm. So someone was putting together a vigil. And I know a lot of people in town because our kids are growing up together and and that sort of thing. And someone said to me, would you consider speaking? Because I know the person who's putting together the vigil, will you just speak? I said, absolutely. I will 
speak, I will say something. And I had maybe about a week Hmm. and I wrote a speech and the speech is actually, I it's posted actually on my, my blog, my website. Mm -hmm. And it's also on my YouTube channel, but the only thing that I could think of in that moment to talk about was my son and was how George Floyd called out for his mom. Mm -hmm. And I felt that all moms felt that to the core, Mm -hmm. right? Like they, all moms should have felt that to the core because Mm -hmm. that was somebody's son. Mm -hmm. And my son at the time is uh, 13. And I thought, he's 13. And the the closer he gets to driving age, the more anxious I get because Mm. he's going to be in a car, whether he's driving or he's going to be in a car with a friend who's driving, I'm not going to be there. And then I thought, and most of his friends are white. Mm. They don't get the talk. They don't get that conversation of this is what you do when you get stopped. Do not escalate the situation. Make sure your hands are visible. You know, respond to what you're being asked. Uh, Try to have your information in front of you before the officer gets there so that you don't have to, you know, all these things that we learn as Black people growing up in in America. The kids that he's hanging out with don't have that. Hmm. And that's what I talked about. I said, moms, white moms, if white moms have children who have black friends, especially black male friends, those kids ought to be getting that talk as well. Mm. Because if that white friend escalates the situation, (laughs) who gets targeted? Who pays the price? Who pays the price? (laughs) Right? My child would pay a higher price for your child being unruly than your child would. Hmm. Therefore, you should be having that talk. And that to me, that was the core of, the, of it for me. Hmm. For me, I felt it's so important for people to really just begin to understand and, and, and get an understanding of how people are living, like how, like the things that I, as a Black mom, think about for my son and my daughter for my children are different than Hmm. what a white mom thinks about for her son and her daughter right mom dad whoever whomever guardians (laughs) guardians of the children you know depending on your race think about different things and we have to be open and understanding of that not tolerant. This is why I hate when people use tolerance as mm. we need to teach tolerance. We need to, I'm, I'm like, you want to teach people to be in a state of discomfort mm-hmm. with someone else versus being in a state of curiosity mm-hmm. and openness mm-hmm. and love mm-hmm. that to me just does, you know, doesn't work. So that was the crux of it for me. I, I felt very deeply about that. And so I started conversations. I started 
I did that speech. I did a, a webinar, a live webinar, uh, a few times, like two or three times that was called Educate to Elevate. And it was about racial sensitivity, things that you may not know that you're saying and that you're doing that are causing other people trauma and that are perpetuating what we saw happen with George Floyd. And then I started speaking more and writing more and more people started coming to me and asking me to help with coaching or, Mm. you know, consulting and, and here I am. Right. Uh, And so that's the intentionality. So it's, it's really being open to Mm -hmm. what the possibilities are and how you fit into those possibilities. Like, how can I use my voice to make a difference? Well, Mm -hmm. I want to have conversations with people, which is how the podcast started, right? That you were on and shout out (laughs) diversity dish. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's how the podcast started because I thought we need to have some conversations. People don't understand the nuances, the microaggressions, Mm. the things Mm. that happen that other, that would never happen to them. Therefore, it just seems very abstract. And so if you hear the conversations, if you hear it over and over and over again, you know, sometimes I think, oh, well, that person said that already. And then I think, sometimes I say something to my husband and he doesn't really hear what I have to say. And then Mm -hmm. his friend says the same thing to him. And he's like, hey, do you know what's a Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I know the feeling. Right. And then I go, isn't that what I've been saying like for months? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's just, it just happens that way. Sometimes some voices resonate more Mm. with some people. Mm. The way people say things resonate more with some people. So Mm. if we all are having the same conversations, that's okay because. I may not hear it from this person because it doesn't resonate with me, but I may hear it loud and clear from another person. So if we're all having the same conversations, we're all bringing forth this information. The more people that can do that, the better. The better. Yeah. yeah. I totally, totally agree. No, that's incredible. And just um, obviously it's institutionalized um discrimination that just permeates and has pervaded all through society um mm-hmm. and even into businesses mm-hmm. and now we're where we are in 2021 for businesses that are keen on being more inclusive being more equitable um where can they start because it can feel quite overwhelming even as a person of color I'm like good grief like this thing is just <laughs> where, where where do we what is my wish if I could yes. have if I could have the ears of you know I could change things and I could enshrine policies what is my wish and quite frankly it's it's quite overwhelming um Absolutely. So, so for businesses that are keen on, on on shifting the needle um being more equitable and it's not just um, it's not just a PR thing. It's not just to appear a certain way. They genuinely are perplexed with 
creating more inclusive empowering cultures yeah where 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 can they start they need to start looking within and that means looking at their policies looking at the procedures looking at who's implementing those policies and those procedures and they need to also look at pay equity pay equity is a huge huge thing because and the reason that it permeates is because individually we Mm -hmm. were not aware right people Mm -hmm. don't make themselves aware and so they come into the workplace with that that blindness and Mm -hmm. then they continue within the workplace in that same way what needs to happen is for the companies to begin to to like I said review policy what are the policies that you have in place and why do you have them in place there are policies that are directed that are that are targeted directly to people of color and the reason they're there is because they've always been there and no one's ever gone in and said why do we have this policy there are procedures that are the same that are targeted towards people of color and black people and they're that way because no one's ever challenged them because they've never thought that it would be a thing to challenge. You've got to get someone in there who's lived the experience as well in order to be more clear about what does and does not affect people of color. Mm-hmm. Lived experience is a lot, has a lot to do with the things that you will notice versus the things that other people might not notice, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. There, you know, I can walk into a room and I will, I can sense different things than a white person who walks right in with me, who may be even my friend. Let's say my husband, my husband's a white man. Mm -hmm. He can walk into the room with me. I will notice certain things and have to point them out to him that he would not notice because it's not in his purview. It's not his lived experience. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, you know, there are things I have to explain and say, okay, this is what's happening. And he has to trust that what I'm saying is real because Mm -hmm. he does not, he, he cannot know from his own experience, whether it's real or not. And so it's the same at work. There needs to be someone looking at these policies, procedures, pay, and saying, okay, this is a problem and this is why. These are the problems and these are, why, these are the reasons why. And then be willing to do something about it. Make that change. I know a lot of companies start with diversity training and uh, bias training, and I think it's backwards. I think you can do all the training you want, but until your culture shifts, until your culture becomes one where people are not allowed to perpetuate the racism and the discrimination that is innate, Mm -hmm all the training you do is not going to change how the company works. It really takes bravery, Mm. right? 
takes the courage to change a company culture. It takes lots of courage and it has to come from the top. From the top, right? It has Mm -hmm. to come from the top. And the top has to be invested in it and they have to be intentional about it. It has to all be intentional so that it comes, it comes down very intentionally to every level of business, making it very clear that this is, these are the things that need to happen. We, we're not just talking about it. We want it to live it. And what will happen is a shakeout. Some people will be okay and some people won't and there'll be a shakeout. And then be very intentional about your hiring. <laughs> mm. So it attracts the people that embody the very culture yes. and values that you're trying to, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because once you start to change that culture within, once you start to change that culture within, you will project differently. Of course. Your, the, the, the job descriptions that you put out will be different because they will incorporate more of the culture that you're trying to, that you're working to build within and that you want to attract and you will attract. You cannot start with diversity. Diversity is a product of creating more equity and more inclusion within your business. Light bulb. Oh, (laughs) start with diversity. Diversity is the symptom. Diversity is an outcome. It's an outcome rather, yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lack Mm -hmm. of diversity is a, is a symptom of Issue. a culture that doesn't that is not conducive to diversity mm-hmm. right but creating a culture that is conducive an equitable and inclusive culture will attract diversity will then become the outcome which is the ultimate goal right mm-hmm. when you start with diversity oh we're going to get the numbers we're going to we're going to we're going to, what are the metrics we're putting in? What is this? What is that? And we get the numbers and it's like, yay, we've got the numbers. And then a year later, what happened? Well, they came, you had nothing for them. As a matter of fact, you remain the, the, the toxic environment that you've always been. So they left to go somewhere else because if, if you're not, if you don't have to stay, you're not going to stay. Of course, of course. This this is powerful. This is powerful. If, because we don't have all day. (laughs) And there's so much to keep talking about on this. (laughs) And if folks would like to, um, um, how do you work typically? Um, How do you help your clients with diversity, equity? So I, my, my, process is usually that I want to always talk to the people who are in charge. So I always want to talk to the CEOs, the CFOs, the entrepreneurs that are building the businesses. And the first thing that I do is always start with review an internal review. So depending on the size of the company, I start with the policies and procedures, the handbook, whatever it is that is creating this culture within. Then I have interviews with, uh, with uh, executives, top leadership, employees as much as possible, depending on the number of employees that we're talking about. There may be surveys, mm-hmm. but it's all, you know, 
to hear everyone's voice, to help everyone begin to understand that their voice is important and that what they think and feel will be taken into consideration. And then Mm -hmm. compiling and working with leadership and saying, these are some of the things that I've heard. These are some of the things that I see. These are, and then making recommendations Mm -hmm. for every area that I feel or that I see needs to be overhauled in order to create the environment that they want to create. Because if they're bringing me in, then they want to create (laughs) Want to create a can this be done virtually or do you do this in person yes. usually okay awesome Both. so you're flexible awesome yes. awesome and if yeah. folks would like to reach you how best can they get hold of you to learn more about your work and sedrolamaruska.com s-e-d-r-u-o-l-a-m-a-r-u-s-k-a.com it's a work in progress, but they can still find a lot of information there. They can connect with the podcasts, my speeches, my other podcast appearances, as well as information on how to set a discovery call so that we can see if it's a good fit and um, so that we can move forward. Let's create more equitable and inclusive businesses so that we can because like you said it's a huge huge task Mm -hmm. but we can only do what we can where we are and where we are are at home and at work and our communities so if we can affect change in those areas then the ripples will flow outward that's how indeed indeed thank you so much study you are a light um this has been Thank you. This has been incredible. Thank you so much. Thank you. So um, this episode with Sedi was recorded in August and this would be going live by the time you're hearing this, October, middle to end of October, right? And so I remember, I remember the experience of sitting across from her and just feeling so touched. And... So when I had to record this intro and outro, I listened to the conversation again and it honestly brought me to tears. Um, I was so touched, particularly by the part where Sadie talks about when she received her diagnosis, her instant reaction was, this didn't come to kill me. This came to teach me. What is the lesson that this is trying to teach me? And this takes curiosity to a whole new level, guys. (laughs) I talk about curiosity a lot, but yo, I'm not sure if I was in that situation. That would be my instant reaction. And then she speaks about the distinction between, you know, how um, a lot of us would be, why me? And she said, why not me? Good grief. That takes a strength of character that honestly is goals. Um, the thrust into intentional living. Um, I think 
steady embodies wholehearted living. And one of my favourite quotes on wholehearted living is by Brene Brown, my girl. One day I'll meet her. One day. Um, and she says, wholehearted living is about engaging in our lives from a place of worthiness. It means cultivating the courage, compassion and connection to wake up in the morning and think, no matter what gets done and how much is left undone, I am enough. It's going to bed at night thinking, yes, I am imperfect and vulnerable and sometimes afraid, but that doesn't change the truth that I am also brave and worthy of love and belonging. Hmm. And then as if the universe was just like bombarding me this week on wholehearted living, courage, bravery, worthiness, um, intentionality, I came across another quote by Suzanne David who says, walk with fear in one hand and courage in the other. You can be brave and afraid at the same time. And I think Sedi is the perfect example of that, who embodied fear and bravery at the same time. Once again, I commend her bravery. It's truly inspirational. And I hope this inspires you to also seek to walk with fear in one hand and courage in another. It might not be cancer. um, It might be uncertainty. It might be a new beginning, it might be whatever it is, right? That's the source of fear. Walk with fear in one hand and courage in another. Choose your purpose and not your fears. Thank you guys so much. I hope this has touched you as much as it's touched me. God bless you.